Corinthians chapter 12 this evening. As we go through life, depending on your personality type, you tend to use money in different ways. For some, money becomes a means to finding entertainment, finding joy, finding completion. For others, money comes as a place of security in which they tend to store up more their financial resources so that they feel like there's a secure element there. But generally speaking, money is there for the reason of living on and for giving away. And so as a result of that, we recognize that we have financial resources and we tend to spend those financial resources. Because that is a common aspect of each individual's life, Paul uses that in a great illustration here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, his second letter now, he is addressing some criticism that has come. He's addressing his position and authority in Christ. He goes on there in the first part of chapter 12 to talk about how God has shown through him. Verse 1, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so he talks about several different things there. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord, this thorn in the flesh, that I might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying, yea, have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So he said, look, there was much done by me in your presence, and you recognized my apostolic authority. Verse 13. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And verse 15 is where I want us to focus tonight. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desire Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked ye not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? So Paul's addressing this issue, and he's addressing them that they have placed as if he was some kind of a, a trying to pull or to take from them. And Paul introduces the exact opposite concept. Now, it is true, often our perspective taints reality. And so the perspective of the church at Corinth versus what's really happening, 
they've been called out on some things they were doing wrong. And so now, instead of addressing what they're doing wrong, they're trying to attack Paul. But Paul, in the midst of this, gives us such a wonderful illustration of what life is. And he helps us to understand that life is an aspect in which we are going to spend the life that we have been given. Let's look at verse 15 specifically first, and then we're going to kind of look at some aspects of how that applies to our lives. First of all, there, I will very gladly spend. The phrase very gladly, it has to do with extreme pleasure. There is a joy in it. Paul says, this is a joy of mine. Now, for some of you, you understand exactly what it means to have joy in spending. You love to go to the store and you love to buy. Whatever it is, you want to spend that money. Others of you, every nickel you spend just hurts. You just don't want to spend a dime. And when it comes here, Paul says, look, I'm going to be spending, but I want you to understand. This is not grudgingly. I'm not doing this out of some, oh, if I have to. He's saying, I gladly, this is the joy of my heart. I very gladly spend. The word spend here is kind of a unique word there in the original language, and it has the idea of to do it freely. There are two examples of where this is used clearly in Scripture that help us to understand what Paul is saying here. The first is in Mark chapter 5. There, Mark 5, 26, it says, And had suffered many things of many physicians. This is talking about the woman who touches Jesus' garment. And had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So the idea is here was a lady who had a serious physical condition who sought out all the possible medical help of the day she could find, and she spent all. She gladly and freely gave everything she had because she just wanted to be healed. But it's actually the same word that's used in Luke chapter 15 when referring to the prodigal son, and when he has all of the wealth that his father has given him, and he goes into a far country, and he spends it on riotous living, he goes out and he basically parties and spends up all of his money. So what Paul's saying here is, look, I will, it's a joy for me to spend freely. This is not begrudging. This is because what I see is worth more than what I have. I will very gladly spend and be spent. To be spent is completely spent. It's done. Every aspect says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly. That word abundantly does not just carry the connotation of doing something in a big way. It has the idea of doing it in a frequent way. Each one of us have natural physical resources. And we can come to the end of a day and we can be spent. You can get to the end of that day and you're just done. But the next morning, the Lord's mercies are new every morning, and there's a new energy for the next day. Now, it may not be a great energy, but there's still some energy for that day. And what Paul's saying here is, look, I will spend until I am completely spent on you. But there's more energy coming. And when I get more, I'm going to spend it on you again. Because it's the more abundantly 
This is frequently. I'm going to keep doing this. Even though I spend every aspect of me up on you, I'm going to do it yet again. The more abundantly I be loved, the less, excuse me, the more abundantly I love, the less I be loved. That word less is actually the word for worse. So it's not just as if there's now a removal of emotional support as we can define love. Instead, it's almost a lower regard for Paul. So you're going to think worse of me, but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't bother me. Because the more energy I get to love, the, the more emotional energy, the more spiritual energy I have. Which, where do I get it from? I get it from Christ. Because he's the one I would rather suffer in affliction so that the power of God may rest upon me. And when I get more of that power of God, I'm going to spend it on you. And I'm going to pour into you, and I'm going to love you, even though you love me worse each time. The lessons we can learn from this are simple. Spending always costs. It just always costs you something. You've heard the expression, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And the idea is, because to eat the cake costs you the cake. You can't spend and still have the money. It has to be spent. Now, some of you do this. And the only reason I know that some of you do this is because I married someone who does this. You get birthday money, and you get that money for your birthday or for whatever event, and then you go and you spend that money, and you spend it because it's as if, in your mind, it is free money. Now, how many of you understand what I mean by that? Let me Go ahead, raise your hands, be honest. Go, go ahead. All right, so that's about half of you understand that is free money to you. So here's what I try to get my wife to understand. And for the rest of you, you're going, I don't understand what you're talking about. When you have that money, you now have that money. When you spend it, you no longer have that money. So it's really not free money because it goes from something you had to something you don't have. Now, some of you may be like my wife, and she's not here tonight but I promise you this is true. She knows her birthday is coming, so she will spend the money before she gets the money. And then she gets the money. Then she tends to spend the money again. And then months later, she'll go, you remember that birthday money? You mean the one you've already spent twice? And she'll spend it a third time somehow. I don't understand. There are three kinds of people in the world, those who can do math and those who can't. All right, so that's where she falls. When it comes to this aspect of spending, spending always costs. It, it, it always costs. And when it comes to financial resources, you, you recognize that spending means that money is now gone. It's no longer money that I can use for something else. It's why we have to train young people, and we even have to train adults to take money and to use it wisely. Because when you keep spending it, it's now gone. Spending always costs. But it's not just true with financial resources. If I take my energy and I use my energy up throughout the day, my spending of that energy can cost me later in the day. This is a common problem for many dads. They take their energy, they spend it in work, 
they come home, they don't have any energy left when they get home, and so now here's their family, who they love far more than the people at work, here's their kids, who they want to invest in, but they have nothing left because they've spent it all along the way. And if we're not careful, recreation and activities can take our natural energy of life and we can spend up our life. But we can spend up our time. Anytime I go and I use it, it costs something. And I just have to make a decision about whether it's worth the cost or not. If spending always costs, you have to recognize you spend on what you deem valuable. Now, all of us have different things that we deem valuable, but you spend on what you deem valuable. I was cracking up about this the other day because I, I've had to do a little bit of grocery shopping, and generally what happens is Kara orders everything on the app, I go by the store, they put it in the back, and I unload it. That, that, that's the extent of my involvement in shopping, generally speaking. But since she didn't know what we had used up, I had to go and I had to get stuff. And so we had this little soap, okay? So it's just soap, right? I mean, it, it's soap. You wash your hands in it 87 times a day. It's just soap. Well, I go in, and it's some kind of, I don't know, new, I don't know what it is. Anyway, and half of you probably have it in your house. And you go in, and I'm like, that bottle of soap's $4. This Walmart brand over here that smells kind of like my shoes is 75 cents. I'm good with 75 cent soap. So I bought 75 cent soap, and I brought it home, and I'm going, I don't need this fancy soap. Give me the 75 cent soap. All right? I didn't value the soap that way. Now I walk over to the paper towel aisle, and there's paper towels, and there's the fancy paper towels, and there's the cheap ones we normally have. And I'm going, ooh, I can get the fancy paper towels. And so Justice goes to get a paper towel the other day, and he's like, ooh, I like these. These are fancy. So we now have fancy paper towels and cheap soap. Why? Because I deemed one valuable and the other not. Kara deems the opposite value. Silly illustration, but you understand. We spend money on what we deem as valuable. And so... When it comes right down to it, we have to look at our life and say, spending always costs. Am I spending my life, am I giving up the cost for what really is valuable? When you deem entertainment as valuable, it will show. It, it will prove itself and where you're spending your life. If you deem your family as valuable, it will show in how you're spending life. If you deem the Lord as valuable, it will show in how you're spending your life. The problem is, we will begin to quantify our time, and we'll say, oh, well, I did this here, so that means I find this as valuable. But when you look at it in the whole scope of your life, you're really not spending on the things that you think are most valuable. Most of us spend a great deal of our life on those things that are urgent instead of those things that are important. And then we create our own urgencies. For you and I, we have to take this example that Paul's setting. And he says, look, I recognize what's important is you. So I'm going to church at Corinth, spend my life for you. Even if it costs, and even if you don't appreciate it. Because here's what we do. 
we spend by showing love to people. In Paul's context here. And Paul says, look, I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to give it, and I'm going to love you even if you love me less. But what we do is we say, I'm going to love you if you will love me in return. Because we define the reward of love in what we get back. When really what Paul's helping us understand is that the reward of love is not in what we get back, but it's in the very fact that we love. The reward of love is simply loving. Not what we get in return. When I can change my mindset on that, and here's how I change my mindset on that. I recognize that God said, look, I love you, period. This morning, grace is not earned, it's given. God then says to me, love thy neighbor as thyself. Who's my neighbor? Whoever it is that's in need, you show that love. Whoever it is around you. So that the love that I have is a command from God. And I love and the reward is in loving because I'm doing what God has taught me to do. Not in getting love back. But isn't it a lot easier to love when you get love in return? We can love easily when we see a future reward for it. But we don't love nearly as well when we see future dissatisfaction in it. I have two little ones right now in the NICU. They don't even really know I exist. I mean, they do, but they, you know, they, they're in their own little Easy Bake Oven incubators, and, and there is no love in return that I get from them. But it's easy to love them. In fact, I'm just going to do it. I shouldn't. This right here is a diaper from the girls, and it's too big. Afterwards, come see how small this thing really is. It, you just go, they can't possibly be that small. They really are that small. And you look at them and you go, what can they do for you? And the answer is absolutely nothing. They can't do a thing right now. But it's so easy to love because you see a return. You know they're going to grow. You know what's there. It's easy to love when you can see it. It's so much harder to love when there is no return. And Paul says, look, I will very gladly spend and be completely spent for you Though the more frequently, the more abundantly I love, the less I be loved. If your love for me keeps going down, I will keep spending my life loving you because the reward is in the fact that I love you, not in the return that I get. And when we can change that and recognize it, it makes a huge difference. Look at verse 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours. I don't want back from you, but you. I want you. Paul recognized that as Christians, we are to spend our life serving others. 
and that Christians are to spend their lives serving others. So Paul says, look, this is what my life is for. This is why I'm here. This is why God left me on this earth. This is why the power of God rests upon me, so that I can give my life to serving others. So that's what I'm going to do. And when I give my life to serving, then all of a sudden I don't need to be served nearly as much. When I can wake up each morning and I can remind myself that morning that the purpose of my life that day is to love God and to show His love to others. And I go through every event and every aspect of my day not to get things done, but to spend and be spent. There's a big difference in that. I don't know what it is about getting things done that has its reward. It, it, there's just something about it that is rewarding to me as a person. But I have to learn and I have to grow in the fact that the reward is not in the return. The reward is in the investment. And Paul said, look, I'm just going to keep investing. I don't need anything back from you. I'm just going to keep investing. I'm going to keep giving. 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 I'm just going to keep loving you. And if you get tired of me, guess what? I'm going to love you anyway. And as he lays out this paradigm, he is helping us understand that we have a role in our relationships. And in that relationship, we are the ones to be giving of love. You see, Christians should not be the needy ones in any relationship. We should not be the individual in relationships that is pulling and drawing and draining the resources of everyone around us. We should be getting our resources from God and we should be taking those resources and pouring them into others. And for you and I, when we come to the place to where the power of God rests upon us, that's our in. We've got to have an out. And so our out becomes in our service and spending our lives for others. And I show that love, and you go, but if I show love to that coworker, I'm not getting any love back. You're looking for the wrong reward. You're, you're looking in the wrong place for the reward. And in my marriage, if I just show that love, I'm not getting any love in return. It's not the point. It's not the point. When we come to the place where we freely recognize I am spending my life somewhere. So why not spend it where God tells me to spend it? Why not spend my life giving even if I'm not getting in return? And we look at it and go, well, that's a poor use of my resources if I'm not getting back. No, it's the wrong focus of your resources because all that I have is given to me by God and I'm to use it the way that He wants it used, not the way that I want it used. Paul goes on to help us understand and establish this principle there at the end of verse 14. For I seek not yours, but you, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul says, look, I have a parental spiritual role in the lives here of you at Corinth. And you and I have to recognize that we have a parental spiritual role. Any parent is grateful when love is returned to them by their children. And it really doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter if they're itty-bitty. It doesn't matter if they're, they're getting up in years. Anytime you can get love in return from a child as a parent, 
that is a joyous thing. But having said that, as a parent, you don't show love just because you get it back. And if you don't get it back, you keep loving anyway. And you keep loving, and you keep loving, and you keep loving. Why? Because it's your child. It's what you do. And Paul says, look, I'm not asking you to lay up for me. I'm here to lay up for you. And you and I have to get that spiritual parental role in our minds. That those that we come in contact in in life, though we may not be the ones who have brought them to Christ, though it may be that these are individuals who have not even come to Christ yet, that we recognize there is a parental aspect to this role in which I can pour into their life and I can help them and I can try and move them along even if I get nothing in return. You see, we must be willing for others to take advantage of us. And isn't that counterintuitive? It's just not the way, as Americans, we live. We don't want to be taken advantage of. Because if I'm taken advantage of, then I feel like I'm the one who's being foolish. I'm the one who's being unwise. Now, there are times and situations and circumstances where we don't want to show the wrong kind of love, the worldly definition of love, in which we enable individuals to do something wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about showing love even when it's unappreciated. Showing love even when, at the end, as Paul said, it's worse for me. But still, I'm good to you. Philippians 2.17 Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. If I'm offered as a sacrifice, it's okay. Because at the end, I want to see you growing. Paul did not seek what was theirs. He sought them. If we're not careful, and we have that mindset, that what I want is love in return... I'm wanting what is theirs. And really what I need is them. Paul wanted them to walk with Christ. Paul wanted them to follow the Lord. Paul wanted them to bring glory to God. Paul was not interested in himself getting glory. Paul was interested in God getting the glory through them. So he said, ultimately, look, you can be angry at me. You can criticize me. That's fine. What I want for you, more than anything else, is you. I want you to walk with the Lord. I want you growing in grace. I want you doing the things that you know. And we have to come to a place to where the people in our lives, we say, what I want is I want you. I want you walking with the Lord. I don't need anything back from you for me. As a church... When we do our job right, oftentimes we will see people come up, they will grow up in the church, they will be walking with the Lord, and they will leave and go serve the Lord somewhere else. And that's a good thing. And it can be hard, but it doesn't mean it's not right. Because ultimately what we want is we want God glorified. And Paul's saying, look, please, understand, I will keep spending my life, I will keep investing my life, I will keep being criticized by you because at the end of it you need to do what's right and I want you more than I want myself and man that's a hard place to be 
But as Paul goes through this, he's confronted with all of this. He says there in verse 16, But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. You you had this anger towards me. Did I make a gain of you by any of them who I sent unto you? I I sent Titus. Didn't he come in the same spirit? He wasn't trying to get from you. But yet you're criticizing and you're being deceitful. Isn't it interesting how people love to criticize others' spending? Uh, People love to criticize other people's spending the way they spend their money, the way they spend their life. And it's easy to do. But at the end of the day, it ain't my money. At the end of the day, it ain't my life. But man, it sure is easy to see how someone else is messing up their life, isn't it? Compared to what I'm doing with my life. So when people begin to criticize the way you're spending your life, when they begin to attack Paul for the way he's investing in them, Paul recognized a simple truth. Those that deserve love the least need it the most. Those that deserve love the least need it the most. And when we go through life and we recognize that those that we come into contact with, that those that we are going about in life and we see day in and day out who really deserve love the least, who really make it hard for anyone to love them, especially us, who almost intentionally act in such a way to push you away, those individuals who deserve it the least need it the most. And because they need it the most, God takes His people and He chooses us to serve that role in bringing glory to His name and to going to someone who deserves love the least, to confronting that individual and trying to bring them to a place in which they're walking with Christ. But if we don't go, if we don't go with that love, then we can never bring them to Christ. Christ himself did this. Christ goes and he brings about his disciples. And when you go through the list, you've got a tax collector in there. You've got some zealots in there. These are not individuals that you look at and say, these are the guys who really need... They deserve it the least. And then, in the midst of these 12 is Judas. And Jesus, knowing all that is in his heart, continues to show love towards him, allows him to come into a position of authority as the one who's the treasurer among the group, who allows Judas to have influence, knowing all along he deserved it the least. When you read of churches throughout Scripture, there's really not another church that's got as poor testimony as the church at Corinth. So Paul of all churches says to them, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Who's in your life right now who just doesn't deserve your love? Who is it in your life right now that you, you, they come to mind 
and you know this individual, we use the word, it's hopeless. That individual is the one that Paul's saying, look, I'll, I'll keep being spent for you. I'll, I'll keep on. Yeah, I, I know there are times you're going to take advantage of me in this situation, but it's okay. I can be a big enough person to recognize that God is bigger than you and that you need this at my cost. Who is it in your life that you just simply need to keep spending on? You're spending your life somewhere. Are you spending it on those who need it most? You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At hbcga.org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest and call on us if you need us. God bless you.